0: Love Talk
1: Radio Hi, this is Stephen Nill, CEO of CharityChannel.com So, you want your charity to succeed. You came to the right place. Integration of online and offline techniques is the key to your successful fundraising and practical advice on going green is what you need. With this show, The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, you will learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Our host is Ted Hart, one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. This year, he is celebrating 25 years in the nonprofit sector and the 10-year anniversary of his firm, tedhart.com. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. His guests are leaders in their field who will share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management, green strategy, and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, here's Ted.
2: And good afternoon. It's uh, wonderful to be back here with you on The Nonprofit Coach. It is Tuesday April 19th, I'm coming to you live uh, from the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., where it's a a bit of an overcast day today. Uh, We've got a fantastic show. We were off last week uh, because of the Digital Leap Conference up in Toronto, uh, which was hugely successful, and I cannot thank all of our partners who helped make that conference uh, such a big success. Uh, I had a great time in Toronto, and I am now back here uh, with you on The Nonprofit Coach, and we've got a great show today. Don't forget, you can call in today live and ask a question at 347-324-3080. Our page two expert today is Simone Joyot. She will be here to talk to us about uh, her wonderful book, Keep Your Donors, which is part of the AFP Fund Development Series. So today... Uh, As always, at this point in the month, uh, we are officially AFP Wiley Radio Show, uh, and it's great to uh, have all of you here with us. As always, on our show, we start with Page One News. I almost forgot to mention uh, that in addition to calling in to ask a question today, you can, of course, always join us over in the chat room. I do see some folks over in uh, the chat room. You can uh, type out some questions there or just email them to me at tedhart at tedhart.com. As always, the page one radio links are available at tedhart.com. Click on radio and you can follow along with me. First, up here on page one news, uh, everyone who is a listener here of the Nonprofit Coach knows that I am a fan of the service called Zobni. X O B N I, and if you forget how to spell that, it's just inbox spelled backwards. Zobni is now going to be offering, or coming soon, will be Gmail android and iphone uh options for Zobni. of course right now it is a service uh principally for microsoft outlook and they're looking for testers uh so if you're interested in possibly being a beta tester for the new Zobni on gmail android or iphone uh then you can learn all about that over in the radio links today at tedhart.com click on radio Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, page one, uh, comes to us from the blog Nonprofit Tech 2.0. And what they're offering over at Nonprofit Tech 2.0 are the five most common mistakes made by nonprofit administrators on Facebook, and here they are. First of all, not knowing how to use apps on Facebook is a no no. If you're going to be active on Facebook, and as the listeners of the Nonprofit Coach know, the number one thing you should be doing online today is a well designed website full of unique content. Next, is a good, in the United States, guide star strategy. Outside the United States, number two is our number three here in the United States, and that is a strong LinkedIn strategy. Then comes Facebook and Juno, so read all about it over at tedhart.com. Click on radio. Number two is not understanding the value of community building on Facebook. I can't tell you how many clients come to me saying, hey, I've got 3,000 people who like me, on Facebook, but we 're not raising any money and, the, and generally, the issue is is that they 're treating Facebook as one way communication it 's not just about pushing out information about your nonprofits to your fans it 's about interaction and engagement if you don 't intend to be social don 't use social media. Next up is limiting their Facebook fundraising to Facebook causes and then leaving it at a cause at $0. Now, here's, a, here's how it works. Now, Facebook causes, nobody's raising big money on Facebook. It is not a true statement to say, I have Facebook, therefore I fundraise. We know that is true. However, it can be part of a broader, larger fundraising uh, initiative. But if you're going to use Facebook causes, Seed the giving. What I mean is get some friends to make some initial donations. If you launch your page and it's sitting at zero, guess what? Most people don't like to go first, and it's probably going to sit at zero for a while. This is really a well-done blog uh, by nonprofit orgs, uh, and uh, next up here is their suggestion that posting too many status updates. Well, I, I think the bigger problem is, Too few status updates. What they're saying here is that their gut says that nonprofits should post no more than one or two status updates a day. I think that would be great. I think if we could get nonprofits to be doing a status update at least once a day or twice a day. My concern is too few status updates uh, where maybe you're getting one or two a week while you really should be using your status updates uh, to give insight into the kind of organization that you are, and it's about learning how to be social again. And number five here as we round out uh, this suggestion uh, from uh, this group over on the radio links at tedhart.com, click on radio, is to not reserve your Facebook username. Come on, folks, a lot of nonprofit organizations, is it possible, well, it's not possible if you've listened here on The Nonprofit Coach, uh, that after your page reaches 100 fans, you can reserve a Facebook user uh, name, facebook.com forward slash whoever you are. Uh, There are at least 10 well-known national organizations on Facebook at the time of writing of this blog uh, that have not uh, grabbed their username, uh, and uh, over 100 million usernames are already taken. So make sure that you're reading all about this uh, from Nonprofit Tech 2.0, and it's available to you in the radio links at tedhart.com click on radio. Uh, next up here on page one news, uh, just a reminder that you will be able to call in and ask questions of our fantastic page two expert today. Simone Joyot, uh, is with us today and she will be speaking about uh, her insights into how to build communications and better, stronger relationships on how to keep your donors. So don't forget You'll be able to dial in at 347-324-3080, never too early to dial in. You can dial in now. Just click, uh, press the number 1 on your keypad to raise your hand to let me know that you do want to ask a question of our expert. Otherwise, I'm just going to see you on the switchboard, and I won't know that you want to ask a question. Uh, next up here in the radio links, you will find... The uh, new Google Analytics platform is here. It has been announced, uh, and you can make sure that you, if you don't have Google Analytics, you certainly should be signing up. Uh, but uh, Google Analytics users will receive access to Google Analytics' latest and greatest uh, user interface. And this is a new version uh, that's available for your current accounts. Uh, and if you don't already use Google Analytics, tsk, tsk, you're not listening to the nonprofit coach, every nonprofit should be using Google Analytics analytics, it embeds into your website, and it will give you tremendous information. It just got better. Read all about it at tedhart.com click on radio. Hey, I've got a very exciting announcement here. You'll find this over in the radio links, uh, but uh, we're going to have a second show uh, launching uh, here on the Nonprofit Coach. This is going to be uh, a new once-a-month magazine, uh, and it's called The Green Show, and this is going to specifically focus on giving green, saving green, and everything green, uh, greening your nonprofit world. And uh, so the first show, of course, uh, as it should, will launch this Friday on Earth Day. And I'm very excited to share the, the link uh, with you over at TedHeart.com. Uh, click on radio. And our first expert uh, on the new green show, and this can be a monthly show. So the Nonprofit Coach continues on Tuesdays at 12 noon just as reliably uh, as it has been for the, uh, more than a year now. Uh, but then once a month, And it's going to be on Friday. This Friday it launches, April 22nd, Earth Day, will be Matt Bauer. He's the president and co-founder of Better World Telecom, a company that is dedicated uh, to green technology and helping uh, nonprofit charitable organizations go green. He's also a co-editor and author of one of my new books, The Nonprofit Guide to Going Green, which is uh, published by John Wiley & Sons. And, of course, today is AFP Wiley Radio. Show. So make sure that you tune in next Friday, this coming Friday, April 22nd. This show is at 1 p.m. So the Nonprofit Coach Show uh, is always at 12 noon and always on Tuesday. The Green Show will be on Fridays at 1 p.m. once a month and it will launch on Earth Day, April 22nd. You can make sure that you follow that, tweet about it, get reminders, and all of that. Just click on the link at tedhart.com. Click on radio. Next up here on page one uh, is four tips. Now this is this is uh, this is a good, really good stuff that comes to us uh, over on Mashable.com, and these are four tips on optimizing your content for social discovery. Now, the first tip here is to write better headlines. Uh, Next is to make it visual, make sure that you've got graphics, Uh, hold on to your readers that you have. Your page real estate um, should be used very, very wisely, and this will give you uh, some tips in terms of how to make sure that you have engaging navigation uh, in your website. Uh, And then fourth is to create the best possible content in the first place. Now, this is something that we've been talking about, and, and, and lots of people in the the industry have not been really focused on content. When it comes to search engine optimization, uh, what has, has happened over the last uh, a little while here is that... Um, for Google and for uh, other major search engines, the rise of search over the past decade um, has certainly changed uh, everything that, that uh, relates to uh, use of the uh, of the internet. Uh, but what's, uh, while search may have constituted the majority of referrals to uh, publishers over the uh, five years uh, over five years ago. Uh, Now we are seeing the rise of Facebook and Twitter uh, in the world of search and uh, uh, through the recommendation of content creators uh, and those who use content online. So this is changing everything. Search engine optimization really is very much focused on content and what you are offering online. Read all about it. This is a fantastic article that's written by David Sasson uh, from Mashable, and you'll find that at tedhart.com click on radio links. Uh, next up here on uh, the nonprofit coach is um, just a notation uh, from uh, a couple of things here that we have from American Express. Uh, one is uh, American Express uh, has their uh, the Members Give, uh, a program where all American Express members can donate reward points, uh, to any charity in the United States. Now, it's important that if you want to encourage your donors, who are American Express users, uh, to donate their uh, member uh, membership reward points to you, you have to be uh, registered with GuideStar. Now, we talk a lot about GuideStar. GuideStar strategy is the number two most important strategy for charities online. Make sure that you go to guidestar.org, that you have a full profile, uh, and then uh, go to tedhart.com, click on the radio links, and get all the information that you need about the Members Give program, uh, the way that American Express uh, cardholders can give away their membership reward points to support uh, charities uh, in the United States. Uh, the next thing that we have up here uh, over in the radio links again. Uh, this is an American Express initiative working with independent sector, uh, and this is the American Express N Gen Leadership Award. Uh, this is Next Generation Leadership Award. I put this in here because I really do appreciate the work that American Express is doing uh, to support the nonprofit sector, and nominations must be submitted uh, by May thirteenth. So if you know an accomplished nonprofit leader uh, age 40 or under, and I can't believe it, I'm not under 40, Uh, I am over 40, so I don't qualify, Uh, under 40, who have already demonstrated significant impact in addressing society's critical needs, then please consider nominating them uh, for the American Express NGEN Leadership Award uh, that's hosted over at Independent Sector. You'll find the link to the application and all the information that you need uh, for this this award, and uh, that is over at tedhart.com. Uh, Click on radio. Uh, Next up here uh, on the Nonprofit Coach is, uh, you know that we've uh, been following and sharing information about the Pepsi Refresh Project. Well, I'm very happy to share with you some information about the launch of Pepsi Refresh Project 2011.
3: It's 2011, and the Pepsi Refresh Project is back. Want to put on a music festival? Throw a block party potluck? Want to join a movement to refresh the world? Then do it, with us. Last year, we put over 1,000 ideas into action. And this year, we're going to do even more. We've kept the three categories you care about most. Arts and music, community, and education. And we've got something new. The Pepsi Challenge. We pose a question, and you submit solutions. It changes each month. In 2011, you have more time to submit ideas. More ideas to vote for and more ways than ever to get involved. New groups make it easy to connect with like-minded people and find projects you love. You can share them with friends on Facebook and Twitter and support ideas by getting everyone to vote. And when you drink Pepsi, you get more voting power. Now Pepsi products have power votes inside. In 2011, up to 60 ideas will receive over 1.3 million in grants each month. That's more grants... To more people than ever before. So don't just stand there. Get creative. Start doing. It's time to share. Support. It's time to start now.
2: Well, I'm I, again. I'm very, very impressed with the work of the Pepsi re- Refresh Project. There certainly have been. Over the course of the the last year, there have been a lot of uh, corporate efforts to engage social media and utilize uh, charitable efforts uh, to promote their their products. And I do think that the Pepsi Refresh Project is one of those that really has uh, engaged a lot of communities and has certainly supported a lot of very important causes. So, uh, again, uh, the launch, this is the official Pepsi launch of the second year of the Pepsi. Pepsi Refresh Project. Uh, They are focusing uh, this year on education, communities, and arts and music. Uh, You can read all about it over in the radio links at tedhart.com. Click on radio, uh, but we do encourage everyone to check out refresheverything.com, learn all about it, and become part of this. I think a lot of the ideas that they're announcing uh, this year as changes uh, are going to uh, just add to the social impact of the Pepsi Refresh project. Uh, Now, the way that this works is that uh, in the second year, uh, projects begin with five days in the beginning beginning of each month uh, to submit entries, uh, and then voting will begin the beginning of the following month. So uh, May 1st, uh, the the first voting will start uh, for the second year of the the Pepsi Refresh project. Uh, Check it all out. Think about how this might integrate into the work that you do, Uh, but this is really about building a larger community and reaching out to a larger Number of people. Uh, and that brings us to uh, the, the conclusion of page one uh, today for the, uh, uh, the uh, nonprofit coach with Ted Hart. Sorry. Uh, that's what our show is. And uh, we're going to move on to uh, page two. <laughs> Without a doubt, Simone Joyo, ACFRE, is one of my favorite people in the industry. I had the pleasure, she was very kind to uh, orchestrate. Uh, having me uh, invited up to the AFP Rhode Island conference uh, and it was such a pleasure such a wonderful large group that they had there. Uh, Simone is recognized internationally as a speaker, author and consultant. Uh, she is widely sought after for her insights uh, into uh, communications and relationship building for donors. Uh, her firm, Joio Associates provides fundraising and organizational development services to organizations around the country. Uh, she is the author to two books, one of which will be our big topic uh, today, and that's Keeping Your Donors, the Guide to Better Communications and and Stronger Relationships, although you can count on the fact I'm going to ask her about uh, Strategic Fund Development, Building Profitable Relationships, because this is uh, a new addition to this book, and I have a little bit of a a story myself uh, in terms of uh, uh, my own thoughts on uh, uh, my own connections uh, to the earlier edition of Uh, the Strategic Fund Development uh, book. Uh, She publishes an e-newsletter that comes out and writes a blog on a regular basis uh, on her website. Uh, She is a web columnist for Nonprofit Quarterly, which can be found at nonprofitquarterly.org. Please join me in welcoming my good friend, Simone Joyo. Simone, hey, welcome here. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Coach.
0: Well, thank you very much for having me, Ted.
2: Well, it's great to have you. And, of course, uh, the treat for me was the opportunity uh, to see you uh, and your wonderful partner, Tom Ahern, uh, up there in uh, Providence. Thank you again for the wonderful invitation.
0: Well, it was a very, very good conference, and you were a big hit. I'm always impressed at listening to you talk about social media, e-philanthropy, in the context of relationship building. Instead of
3: just standing be there be a and telling a us what a great thing uh, it is, that always seems to be a bit of a surprise to
2: you, uh, uh, Simone. There, there, in terms of my approach, as opposed to I think maybe what 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 you indicate you see more prevalent. Wh- where's that disconnect uh, that you see between good social media utilization for relationships and and perhaps what you perceive to be not a good use of social media?
0: I think it's losing the idea that social media is a Tool, it is not an end in and of itself. And, you know, I'm always amazed at the number of fundraisers and organizations who genuinely are not interested in having genuine relationships with their donors. They see their donors as a means to an end. Donors are merely the way we achieve our mission. Social media is a great way. To achieve our mission and somewhere in there the genuine relationship and caring about our donors is lost.
2: And, and what, what do you think that disconnect is? Is it, is it different than, than uh, uh, sort of a disconnect that we might view in the offline world or uh, is it uh, an intrinsic uh, problem that nonprofits have whether it's online or offline in terms of sort of missing the, the true connection with their donors?
0: I think it's in, intrinsic to the work. I think in the panic for money, we really only see donors or too often see donors primarily as this means to carrying out our mission. And so whether it's off, in the offline world, as you say, where, oh, I don't know, we just don't do anything but think of them as ATM machines, to the online world, I think it's this intrinsic loss of, of concept, if you will. But I also think that in the um, online world, we're so intrigued by whatever is new. And so we really, really like the online world partially because we, it doesn't cost any money. You know what I'm saying. We don't have to send right. the print newsletter. All we have to do is email one, and it's cheap.
2: And, and do you think because it is uh, maybe more cost-effective that there becomes a false sense of security that somehow um, just by using it I'm creating a relationship rather than focusing on the relationship itself?
0: Yes, yes, I, I think you're absolutely right. It is – it's this false sense of security. And, and the false sense of – so there's the false sense of security about the online world, but then there's also this much bigger, I think, Ted, false sense of security, which I would summarize as, you're my donor, you love me, no matter what I do, you'll still love me. And it's like, wow, that is so not true,
2: and, and that's really the the uh, the essence of, uh, of of your book here. Uh, what I'm going to do just uh, indulge me just a second, uh, Simone, uh, because this is uh, officially for, for this month, you are our author as part of the AFP Wiley Radio show, and we do have special theme music uh, for Uh-oh. the AFP Wiley radio show. So I'm just going to play that music so we can uh, then jump in and talk about this fun development series. That's our official theme music for the AFP Wiley Fund Development Series. Now, your book is part of that series. Uh, for those who may not be familiar with what that means for a book such as yours to be chosen uh, for, this, uh, for this series, which is the reason why we have you uh, as our guest uh, in this particular slot in the month, what is the AFP Fund Development Series, and, and why do you think that might be important for the sector?
0: Well, I think that part of the role of a professional association, whether it's AFP or AHP or any of the others, is to help document the body of knowledge. And so it's a wonderful opportunity for both the sector and AFP to have a series that comes in a joint partnership from um, AFP and Wiley. And so that means that there is a publishing advisory committee, if you will, from AFP where professional fundraisers are looking at what are the topics that we need more books about, how do we foster increased knowledge and document a body of knowledge in the sector. So I think it's a wonderful opportunity the partnership between AFP and Wiley, and it's as I say, I think it's something very important that that a professional association would be doing.
2: So this is a fairly innovative collaborative uh, process uh, between AFP and Wiley, and of course, you and I are, are very close to uh, the wonderful folks over at Wiley who have uh, published uh, our, our books, and they do over at AFP have a publishing advisory committee. So your book, so this this very important book called Keep Your Donors was chosen for this series and when when I read this book, which I, I absolutely love and, and encourage uh, uh, my uh, listeners to purchase this book uh, and to uh, to really uh, learn the insights into this book but i, I don 't know if you're familiar with uh, uh, a, a book and uh, a, a television uh, series, I think it was made into a movie as well the Hitchhiker's Guide to the galaxy uh, and oh, when I, I remember read the this
0: title from years ago, yeah.
2: Okay, from years ago. Well, well, there, there's, there's a book in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is The Hitchhiker's Guide. And on the cover, all it says is, don't panic. And I almost feel like this book is written for, for nonprofit executives to say, don't panic when you're thinking about your donor relationships because we've got the answers here. Um, is that is that about right? I mean, this, this is sort of a, a don't panic, we've got some answers.
0: You know, it is. And and just to give you some, some perhaps a curious background, uh, Ted, is that my partner, as you mentioned, Tom Ahern, who is a, a donor communications expert, and I were approached by the AFP uh, Publishers Advisory Council to write a book. And, and they said, we want you to write a book that combines – Tom's expertise in donor-centered communications and your expertise, Simon, in, you know, strategic thinking and planning a development program and nurturing relationships. So we, you know, sort of said to ourselves, okay, sure, we'll do that. And then, of course, we had to figure out what the heck the content was going to be, and then we had to figure out a name. And we had a wonderful conversation with the editor at Wiley, Susan McDermott, about coming up with the name And then when we finally wrote it and it was published, you know, they send you a couple copies right away so you can see it. We opened the box and we went, oh, my gosh, this book is so thick, no one will ever want to read it. Now, of course, a novel you have to read from start to finish. But Keep Your Donors is not a novel. It is, as you say, a guide. And a really good other note on it would be don't panic. You don't have to read it from start to finish. You jump around, and it is your resource guide to nurturing relationships with your donors so you keep them instead of just keeping well, them. Well, i that
2: Now, this is the kind of book that you can jump around because I wanted to jump around and I wanted you to answer for our listeners today uh, separating fund development from philanthropy. So, what is that? How does that work? Why is that important?
0: important for um several reasons. One, philanthropy, I'm very partial to the kind of um definition of it that Bob Payton, the first director of the Center on Philanthropy in Indiana, and he called philanthropy voluntary action for the common good, or for the public good actually. And I just started calling it voluntary action for the common good. There has been philanthropy in every single country in every single society since the beginning of time when people lived in caves helping each other out. And philanthropy has a very, very positive, upbeat sense about it, love of humankind. Although the downside of the word philanthropy is that people tend to think that the only philanthropists are you know, Bill and Melinda and Warren Buffett, etc. And that's not true. Every human being, no matter whether they give time or money, no matter how much, is a philanthropist. But in general, philanthropy is not always self-initiated. It's not like you, Ted, are sitting at home Friday night saying, to whom shall I send money? The biggest reason anyone gives is because they are asked. And so fund development to me is the process of ensuring that philanthropy happens. Um, Hank Rosso used to define philanthropy as the, if you will, essential or rather fund development as the essential partner of philanthropy, the servant of philanthropy. So fund development is the process where we identify those who might be interested and we find out what they're interested in and we nurture relationships in order to build loyalty. And we build loyalty because keeping your donors is what's matter what matters. And so philanthropy and fund development are these essential Integrated partners, if you will,
2: and that and that is important. And, and what you mentioned is, um, and I think for a, for a lot of nonprofit executives, they sort of jump to the ask. Uh, yes. And in uh, keep your donors, uh, you point out that there's several steps before the ask, and that and that it starts with identifying uh, the predisposition. Uh,
3: yes.
2: And what does that mean? And, and how, do, how does how does that actually uh, get uh, operationalized by a charity executive?
0: Well, you know, we know what donors are, donors of they give time or money. And we should know what prospects are, which means somebody who hasn't yet been asked has not yet invested, but a prospect is still someone who has in some way raised their hand. I indicated some level of interest in the cause in your organization because I asked to be on the mailing list. I bought a ticket to the play. I signed a petition. And then we have this other word in fundraising we frequently use, which is suspect. That is...
3: Well, and I was going to mention
2: that difference because I'm not sure that that, uh, a lot of nonprofit executives, um, uh, fundraising professionals... Really focus on the difference there, and I'm and I'm wondering if that is sort of the the donor relations uh, akin to fund development versus philanthropy uh, is prospect versus suspect because I think yeah. we a, a lot of executives tend to lump them all together as people who might give us money, but they're not the same.
0: Precisely, I I, I completely agree with you. I think people. Uh, Too many fundraising and, and executives and CEOs see prospects as anybody who lives nearby or is wealthy or for some reason I've decided you might want to give. And, again, that's not what a prospect is. A prospect means you've already raised your hand expressing interest. So then we have this other terrible word, suspect, which is I suspect that because of your background or the conversation I had with you one day, I suspect you might be interested in giving. Well, I find the word suspect very offensive, and I don't want to be heard anywhere talking about suspects. So all I did was take well, the word Well, I sort suspect. of like the way
2: that, that you positioned it, though, because I, I agree with you that the phrase uh, uh, suspect uh, you know, just has such a, a negative connotation. Yeah. But when you put it in terms of I suspect this of you, that's different than calling you a suspect.
0: Precisely. And so I call the people I don't want to call suspects, I call them predisposed. So a perfect example is um, the fact that I am a subscriber, if you will, to one theater company, and I regularly go there and see the plays, it suggests that I am, might be predisposed to buying tickets to another theater company. So I could be identified as predisposed. You suspect I might be interested in the other theater company. And so what you have to do is reach out to me in some sort of cultivation way, in some sort of introductory way, to then determine if I'm actually a qualified prospect for the next theater company. And you might find out that I'm not, that the only reason I'm a subscriber to the one theater company is they do certain kinds of plays, and I'm absolutely... While I'm predisposed to theater on some level, I'm actually not that interested in your kind of theater, and hence I'm not going to be a very frequent ticket buyer. And even if I'm a ticket buyer, I'm not going to become a donor. So we have to process
2: there, and that often uh, sort of uh, confuses, I think, some of some of our colleagues. In that, because I buy a ticket to your theater, does not necessarily mean that I have philanthropic intent.
0: Exactly. So I would consider anybody who buys a ticket to my theater to be a prospect for giving, but (laughs) they might not actually end up being a donor. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and what, I just what, think, what are some and, of the
2: clues that you look for and, and what advice can you give uh to our our listeners today uh in terms of how do you determine the difference? Because that that to me is one of the skill sets yeah. that the that differentiates um a fundraiser uh from a professional.
0: Yeah. So I think that, you know, in the ideal world, we are regularly personally connecting with those we think might be predisposed and we can be doing that through social media so in fact I can invite people to subscribe to my e-news which talks more about my theater company and the importance of donor investment in it and if people subscribe then they've expressed interest It doesn't yet again mean they're a totally qualified prospect, but all I'm trying to do is make incremental steps to get those that I think might be predisposed to raise their hand and say, wow, I am interested in subscribing to that. Yes, I would like to come to a play. Oh, I would like to learn more about this, about your organization. So we have to have this, uh, you use the phrase operationalize, we have this whole string of opportunities for people to keep saying yes i'm interested yes i'm interested and we or no i'm not interested and we have to listen carefully because premature asking is a waste of time because once you get a no it's really hard to turn it around
2: Exactly. One of the things that I point out uh, to particularly uh, young executives is that there's a world of difference between being a development officer and a fundraiser. And the difference is a professional development officer develops opportunities for people to give and fosters and enhances relationships. A fundraiser is likely to just ask for a gift,
0: and they don't understand
2: the relationship that goes behind that.
0: Yeah, and they don't Because what happens that, when you're a yeah.
2: fundraiser is you're going to get what I call go away money.
0: Precisely. Precisely. Here's a
2: gift. Go away. Don't talk to me. I I don't feel valued here. Just go away. As opposed to a development. And so what I wanted to learn more about is you you brought up this incremental step by step. It sounds like that's very much focused on relationship building. Uh, what are some of the things that a professional should know um, in terms of keeping the the dialogue moving towards yes?
0: Well, I think of relationship building in sort of two kind of streams, if you will, of, of actions. One is very good donor-centered communications. So that's whether it's a A newsletter, whether it's a a print newsletter combined with e-news, and, of course, they both operate differently, and the communication style or the brevity of an e-news is different than the concept of articles in a newsletter. So I'm looking at these communication moments that must be regular and sufficiently frequent so that I don't forget you. Then at the same time, my other parallel track, if you will, or intersecting track, is what I call creating extraordinary experiences for donors and for those that are in relationship with you or are starting to get into relationship with you. So I'm actually, as a development officer, assuming that we're creating a program for relationship building. So there's sure there's a solicitation program, but there's a program for relationship building, and it has these it, two streams: communications and cultivation. Communications as and that's extraordinary a serious
2: that that's a serious strategy that requires a lot of thought. That's not something that that just kind of happens.
0: Exactly, exactly, because you have to have read research like Adrian Sargent's research about donor loyalty. You have to read the regular blogs you know, from people like the Agitator and from Jeff Brooks, who are giving us all kinds of information. And then you have to figure out what, how much you can do, how you can engage your board members and other volunteers in helping to execute this. So you have to create a very strategic plan based on information, and you have to implement it because absence does not make the heart grow fonder. And we underestimate how much people really need to connect with us and hear from us regularly. You know, a couple newsletters a year and one thank you call does not a relationship make.
2: Right. It, 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 seems, it seems almost mechanical at that point. It's not yes. relationship driven. In, in your book, uh, Keep Your Donors, which is part of the AFP Fund Development Series, you point out that action is the objective reading is optional. How does that, that sort of frame uh, the discussion that we're having right now? Is, is, is that really what, what our listeners should should almost like paste on their, their wall uh, to, to, to say action is the objective?
0: Yeah, you know, that's Tom Ahern's area of expertise, this whole donor communications piece. And I think what, what he reminds us of is that when you're communicating with people – Ultimately, the intent is for them to take some sort of action. So I'm inviting you, for example, to sign a petition. I'm inviting you to, to register for our newsletter. I'm inviting you to give a gift. And what happens is we tend to think that without much effort we can write a newsletter. It's going to be pretty because we're going to have some designer or somebody do it, and that our donors are so excited, or our prospective donors are so excited, to hear from us that they will read anything. I was joking the other day, I was presenting um, a workshop on fundraising somewhere, and I said to the group, you know, I have a master's degree in 20th century French and American literature, and I got A's on all of my papers in, at university. And then I looked at them and I said, so is the kind of writing I did for my papers at university, is that the kind of writing we're talking about now? Now, And thank heavens they all said, no. We're talking about journalism writing. We're talking about headlines that come out of the National Enquirer that grab people's attention. We're talking about you know, writing at the eighth grade level or lower, and we're talking about writing about stuff that they're actually interested in instead of what the organization decided to tell them.
2: And, and what, what are some of the, the cues that you can give to someone that, that signifies the kind of action that you're looking for if, if uh, reading is now optional? I mean, how, well, how do you make that happen if you're writing in a journalistic way, but you really intend it to not necessarily be read like a novel?
0: Well, again, it, Tom will say to us all that the headlines are the single most important thing in any newspaper or any newsletter. Just like the subject line in an email is the most important thing because it's what motivates us to open it. So the headline is what motivates us to read the article. The best, Some of the best headlines in the United States are in the Wall Street Journal because they have the little eyebrow on top, and then they have the really big headline, and then they have the little subhead. You read those three little parts of the headline, and you know what the story's about, so you know whether you want to read it or not. In addition, when Tom says reading is optional, he means they're not going to read a bunch of paragraphs of an article or a direct mail letter and wait for the punchline at the end. The punchline darn well better be at the start. So it's like telling the three little pigs story. You know, in the original story, it was like there were three pigs, and they lived in these kind of houses, and all this stuff was going on, and then there was a fire. If you were writing the three little pigs not as a novel or story, but rather as an article, it would be fire. No one died.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think that's a a great example of of helping understand because – I, I do think that a lot of charities get very long-winded. It's almost yeah. like they're setting up the apology for asking.
0: Precisely, and and setting up the apology for wasting my time, you know, telling you something. It's like, wow, if the article is good, I, I'll read it, and it will make me want to act. So, you know, if it says sign this petition, you know, to stop sex trafficking of nine-year-old girls, you know, it's the headline. It's that subject line that's going to grab me, and then I'm going to decide to take action. So, when we're communicating, we need to have multiple different ways for people to participate, even when we're not asking for money, but we're only in the relationship building stage.
2: Right, and I think we miss that. I think I think you know, we we a lot of charities do get very long winded, uh, and they they in the attempt to not. Uh, seem like they're wasting your time. They waste even more of your time uh,
0: yeah. trying to
2: not waste your time.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and you know, this is Simone, we're going to about- take
2: just a, a little bit of a break. When we come back from the break, I'm, I'm hoping that you can explain to our listeners today how they can know uh, if they are donor-centered. That seems to be a, an important theme uh, in Keep Your donors. so we're going to learn all about that uh, when we come back uh, from the break. We'll be right back. We'll ah. ah. Sponsor for today's show is Pesci Law and Accounting. I'm very, very pleased to partner with them, and they are bringing to you uh, my Building a power board that Can Fundraise webinar. Uh, this is a, a series uh, that I have done uh, for many, many years, but I have rarely done uh, in a webinar format. While now partnering with Pesci Law and Accounting, it is now available to you. You can register online by going to tedhart.com, click on Radio Links and you will find it right there. Uh, the webinar is coming up. It's going to be on Monday, May second. Uh, is at two p.m. Eastern, one p.m. Central. Uh, and we're going to be covering all of the various aspects of what is a board of directors, how you get them involved uh, with fundraising, uh, and more importantly, and the, the the big uh, uh, topic here is tips for success, specific policy decisions that you can make uh, to build a powerful board that can fundraise. Starts with nominations, goes all the way through to how you manage the board and how you engage and inspire uh, your board members to be involved. So uh, please check it out. Thank you very much to the folks at Pesci Law and Accounting for sponsoring us today and for putting together the Building a Power Board that Can Fundraise webinar, which will take place on Monday, May 2nd at 2 p.m. Eastern.
3: And now... Back to the show. <laughs>
2: we're back here on the Nonprofit Coach. Just a reminder that uh, if you would like to call in today, you can ask questions at 347-324-3080. Just press 1 on uh, your keypad to let me know that you would like to ask a question. I see a number of people in the switchboard, but if you don't press number 1, I don't know that you want to ask a question. You can also type out questions. I see a bunch of people over in the chat room uh, today. You can ask questions there or email me at tedhart.com. At TedHart.com, Simon, uh, how do I know if I'm donor-centered?
0: Well, you know, I'm going to do this two different ways. One, you personally, professionally as an individual, and then the second part will be your organization. So, to know whether you, Ted Hart, or me, Simon Joyo, are actually donor-centered, it's a kind of a, a self-evaluation and an internal examination. And so, here are some of the questions that I would suggest to to your listeners that they ask of themselves, do you genuinely, honestly care why each one of your donors chooses to give you money? Do you genuinely, honestly care? Do you genuinely, honestly think to yourself, this is about their aspirations, not our mission? And that can be really hard because donors don't give to your organization. They give through it to achieve their own aspirations. So do you genuinely care what their aspirations are? Do you love to listen to donor stories where they wander around telling you about their life and where you're listening to get all of the cues about why it is that they are ultimately investing in your organization, what their aspirations are. So I'm stunned when I hear fundraisers, fundraising professionals, development officers, as you say, Ted, where they actually genuinely see donors as a way to achieve their own mission, as opposed to the organization is the way that the donor achieves his or her aspirations.
2: So, and, and it, it, there is a nuance there that I think is important uh Simon we do have a, a question that's been emailed in Mike from Atlanta and I'm guessing that he has your book because uh he's noting one of your the concepts uh in your book that I, that I think you're actually talking about right now but maybe uh you can go into more detail for Mike uh and that is he's asking about how do you raise the problem and be the solution?
0: Ah <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, nice nice phrase. Um you know the organization raises the problem uh, you know not enough theater in our community or sex trafficking of young children so it raises the problem and the organization has to have the solution to it has to have strategies to make that that solution but more importantly the donor is the solution so if you're truly donor-centered as an organization, you're constantly saying to me, the donor, without you, Simon, without you, Ted, we couldn't have rescued the nine-year-old girl who was in a brothel. It's not we, the organization, are so great rescuing kids from the brothel. It's because of you, the donor. So. The organization raises the problem, which the donor already cares about as a problem. The organization offers various solutions, but the organization says, but we can't do these solutions unless we partner with you, the donor. I, had a, I was in Alaska last week, and I was doing a, a conversation with donors at the YWCA of Alaska, whose mission is eliminating racism and empowering women. And so I was asking donors, so why do you give to the YWCA? And this one woman said, I give because with the YMCA, me to I mean with YWCA, with me together with them, I am making a difference. I am making change. She was using the we word. She said, I'm part of this team.
2: And Well and, that, really and that's was, really the the essence of, there's a good uh development officer in there someplace uh who's helped make that we yes. happen. Because one of the things, and please reflect on this for me, see if I've got this right. What I try to point out to people when I'm lecturing is that when a donor gives – it is as if, and I'll use the example of of, of, of this woman at, uh, at, at the YMCA. She's probably a professional woman, very, very busy, doing a lot of things. She gives because if she could drop everything and she could go work with those girls and she could see their faces every day and she could know that she's making a difference, she probably would.
3: But yeah. she can't
2: as a life. She has a family. She has other things that draw her away. And so the charity becomes the conduit through which she can do the things that she feels in society should happen. And it's our job as development officers to help make that connection. It's not because she has a checkbook. It's because we are the conduit to make it happen for her.
0: Yes. She, She, the donor, is using the YWCA as a conduit to fulfill her own aspirations, to achieve her own desires. And so a truly donor-centered organization, as it's evaluating itself, is saying we treat our donors as team members. So, for example, in another organization I was at, um, at, so the, at when I was in Alaska, at Cook Inlet Tribal Council, one of the staff people said, well, then one of the ways we can nurture relationships with our donors is to ask them if they'd like to come to a program staff meeting. So they can hear what's happening at the program level, and they're part of the team because they're coming to the staff meeting.
2: Well, so- and see, and that brings us back to social media because I think a lot of charities, they don't know what to say or they they, they feel like, oh, why does it matter? And it's it's helping to peel back that ivory tower and to say yeah. – these are the things that are happening. Yeah. If you could be here, this is what you're that what you would be yeah. hearing, or this is what we're reading right now, right. or this is what's right. coming up. Yeah. It's those sorts of things that because your donors care, but they can't they, they can't make it their life mission. Yeah. They want to support yeah. your effort. That's where social media really can make a difference.
0: Yeah, and so one of the things that I talk about is so what's your DCQ? What's your donor centric quotient? So what's your donor centric quotient as the development officer but what's your donor centric quotient as the development program and the organization and so one of the things that that tom and i created and keep your donors the book is the donor centric pledge which is actually on page 227 of the book where we talk about needing to have a donor centric communications program where we talk about you have to have a cultivation program that creates extraordinary experiences, that you have to have the mechanism to ask donors how they feel, that you have to have the, um, that you actually understand that you're in the feel-good business and you're about making the donors feel good, that you understand that the donor's perspective defines what a major gift is. You know, what's a major gift for me is different than what's a major gift for Bill and Melinda Gates. And you better know what's a major gift for me. And you better know how I feel about giving and how I feel about this issue because that's the only way that you can keep writing the way I need to hear you. And it's the only way that you can create extraordinary experiences for me. Exactly. And honestly –
2: of, uh, just a couple of uh, notes here for our listeners. We do not have a show next week, uh, uh, so you can clear that uh, off from your schedule. I'm actually uh, uh, going to get away for a couple of days to celebrate uh, my birthday, so I'm, I'm going to be off next week. Uh, but birthday. we do have a show this Friday, which is our launch of the Green Show, uh, and then the nonprofit coach will be back here on Tuesday, May 3rd, uh, with Kent Stroman, uh, who is an author of a terrific new book called Asking About asking, and it's about conversations. Now, uh, Simone, I'm just uh, mindful of the time here. We only have a few minutes left. We do have a question over in the chat room from Christopher, and Christopher is just asking, if you have a couple quick tips, again, we only have a couple minutes here, Uh, how can you seek seed money if you haven't gotten your 501c3 yet? So I'm just wondering if you have any insight into, uh, very quickly for Christopher, if you're looking to start a charity, um, is that sort of angel funding from friends and family because it it's not going to be charitable yet.
0: Yeah, it could be angel funding from friends and family. It could be going to your local community foundation and seeing if they give that kind of startup money and if they will recommend a fiscal agent for you. So and another charity very... that would accept a gift on your behalf.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, Christopher, I think Simon's giving very, very good advice here on you know, finding another charity that may have somewhat of a related um, uh, interest in what you're doing, yeah. uh, where they may uh, serve as a sort of an incubator uh, for your idea. Uh, Simon, I can't believe the time always flies when, uh, whenever we're together. I was wondering if you might just wrap up in about one minute or two, uh, just sort of summarizing the most important thing that you can send our listeners away with uh, today in terms of keeping their donors?
0: If you want to keep your donors, you have to build donor loyalty. If you want to build donor loyalty, you have to build meaningful relationships with them, which means you have to quit looking at yourself and looking at your mission, and you have to start looking at and listening to them. And a comprehensive relationship-building program includes donor-centered communications and donor-centered extraordinary experiences, and all of that is more important and requires more time than actually soliciting the gifts. So that would be my summary.
2: That is such an important point. Put the emphasis on the relationship building and the money will come for your organization. Juan yep. ACFRE, a stellar star in our industry for joining us today here on the Nonprofit Coach. I hope you all join us this Friday at 1 p.m. for the new Green Show, and then we'll be right back here on the Nonprofit Coach Tuesday, uh, May 3rd. Uh, take care, everybody.
3: Have a great week. <laughs>